You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Summer School Electronics. Summer School Electronics is a pedal company from Syracuse, New York, making incredible stuff. There are a few summer school devices knocking around the shred shed, and I can tell you from personal experience, they sound great, they hold up, and Mark is a super cool dude. The first pedal I saw from them was the Science Fair, which is a parallel classic drive and distortion. And now they've released a new parallel concept called the Class Reunion. The Class Reunion takes a 90s muff style circuit and combines it with their Trash Panda, which is like a soft clipping, high gain, amp in a box style circuit. And it is a super, super versatile combination with all kinds of clipping options, parallel blending. It's really, really rad, a really cool idea, and I think you should check it out. So go over to summerschoolelectronics.com, that's summerschoolelectronics.com, and check them out today. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this one. I appreciate you very, very much. This week, I'm talking to my new buddy, Kyle Bull. Kyle is a YouTuber. And if you spend any amount of time searching around for metal amplifiers and demos of metal amplifiers, you have almost certainly came across his content before. He does a lot, a lot, a lot of amp demos. In fact, it was his demo of the Orange Rocker 30 that sealed the deal for me on that thing. I remember watching his demo and thinking, wow, that thing has way more to it than most people would expect. And he did a great job at showing all that off. He's recently became a full-time content creator and I wanted to get his story. So we sat down, we talked amplifiers. He gave me some schooling on the 5150. It's kind of bizarre that I don't own a 5150 yet, really. It's kind of stupid. But Anyhow, he gave me some information on that, and we talk about a lot of different things. And without further ado, let's get into this episode. Let's get talking to Kyle. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland. With me today, I have Kyle Bull. What's going on, dude? Hey, man. Glad to be here. How's it going? You know, not too bad. Uh, It's kind of a a weird thing. I meant to try to talk to you at GearFest, but it's such a chaotic, running around like a chicken with his head cut off type of situation that never got to meet everybody that I wanted to meet. So we... We hooked up after the fact, almost immediately after the fact, and I was like, hey, let's do this podcast. Let's let's do it how we normally do things. So good to have you here. Yeah, man. Glad to be here. Uh, thanks for taking the time to have me on. And yeah, I totally know what you mean about GearFest because you were one of the people that I actually wanted to talk to. So it's so funny. It was just like, just so much going on. And I'm sure you were probably like me where you were trying to focus on like, uh, or what content can I be creating while I'm here? Like, what can I get knocked out? And it's just like you know, probably your mind was going in a million different directions at all times because that's how I felt. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I wanted to personally, you know, to say thanks because you're part of the reason I bought my Rocker 30. I watched your demo. It's kind of an older one, I think. But uh, I was like, one popped up at a local shop and I was kind of, oh, I don't know, maybe I'll drive up and check it out. Let's find some video. Oh, Kyle's got a video. Uh, 
Oh yeah, I gotta go. I'm gonna go. Buy <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Always, always happy to hear that I'm part of a bad decision or a good decision, no matter what way you look at it. I guess. <laughs> hey, that's a little bit of a sleeper. It's kind of an unsung hero in the the orange. Well, it's no longer part of the orange lineup, but back in the day, yeah, uh, it's it's a great amp. Oh, for sure, man. But, uh, is that your first orange or no? It's my first orange amplifier, but my first tube amp I ever plugged into was a Tiny Terror. So it wasn't my oh, cool. very first orange experience. Yeah. So first one I've spent a lot of time with, though. Yeah, man. They uh, they they have surprised me in the last like year and a half. I just always kind of avoided them thinking like they're not for me. Like because you kind of associate them with like doom and like stoner bands and kind of stuff like that because that's a you know, you see the giant walls of orange and mad amp and stuff, you know, for bands like that. So I was always kind of like, well, me being like a tight thrash guy, they're not going to be my thing. But dude, I was so wrong. They're so they're so awesome mm -hmm. for that stuff. They, they're very, very versatile. So, yeah, it's a it's a and plus, I mean, they, they got that iconic vibe. So, yeah, a, no doubt it's a whole thing. But but I want to get into you. Like, obviously, you've been kind of known as a, a metal, like a very niche down like metal amp guitar youtuber i feel like is how most people know you i know you do a lot of other things but you've obviously got i don't know how many amps you have i'm gonna estimate just based upon my limited knowledge i'm gonna say you've got 70 amps maybe more um how many amps do you have how did you get into like making content i want the whole story what's the kyle bull tale all right so as far as the number of amps that i own right now I don't know. I don't know the number. Um, I think you're pretty close, <laughs> but I think it's higher. I think it's in the 80s. Um, the The number okay. has been steadily creeping up on me without me realizing it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I understand it's it's up there. So, yeah, how I got into content creation. So I have just kind of been like chasing gear. I want to say since about 2015, I really started getting into gear. Um, I've always just been, I, I kind of consider myself a casual guitar player. Um, I've been part of the hardcore scene for uh, 20 years now. Uh, I've been in, been in many hardcore bands over that time. And really like guitar has always just been like my way of being part of that community, you know, and it, whether it be guitar, I'm okay. also a drummer. I play bass. Like I basically, I do anything I can to be in a hardcore band that gets to play out of town shows. So, you know, that's, that's kind of been my thing for a long time. So around 2015, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden I just got really, really into gear. Um, I had always been somewhat interested in, I would say 2010s when I bought my first tube amp, it was a Madison divinity. Uh, my band at the time that I was touring with represent a straight edge hardcore band. We were touring the U S uh, the amp broke down on me multiple times. <laughs> so, uh, I got to borrow a lot of people's stuff while we were on that tour. And I played a 5150 and a 6505 plus on separate occasions. And I'm just like, Oh dude, these things are so good. Like I, as soon as I get home, that's my first goal. So that was what I did. I bought a 6505 pretty much immediately when I returned home and my tone journey kind of started there. Um, but I had a lot of financial and life ups and downs between 2010 and 2015. So I would accumulate a couple things and then I'd sell them off to pay bills. Um, so 2015, I kind of got some financial stability, got a, got a good job for the first time. So it was like every penny I made <laughs> that didn't go to bills went into collecting guitar gears. So fast, <laughs> fast forward to end of 2021, which is where my 
when my channel started, I've always been somebody who has been heavily into just YouTube, like in the YouTube guitar community. Like I've always, I've watched all this stuff for years. I've watched Keith Marrow and Fluff, um, you know, just to name a few, Aggie Fish Hunter. I've been watching his channel for a long time and I just really love consuming, you know, guitar related YouTube content. And I was always like, it would be really fun to do that, but I don't know how to work a camera. Um, I don't know how to capture audio <laughs> and I right. don't like when I do stuff, I kind of want to, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to do it as, as good as I possibly can. So I'm not, I don't want, just want to throw up, uh, YouTube or I'm sorry, like cell phone videos with in the room audio. Sure. Like I, I never wanted yeah. that it to be like that. So no, no disrespect to anybody who does that, but just me personally, I never really found those videos that helpful. Like if I would click on somebody's video and it would be that, I would be like, well, this doesn't really tell me much. So, um, I, had, at that time I'd been posting a lot in like the Facebook groups. There's a couple like chug life and heavy metal amps and pedals and stuff. And my amp collection mm -hmm. was probably creeping up into the the twenties and thirties at that point. Like it was definitely growing. People would constantly be messaging me based on the posts that I would make, asking me questions about amps and, you know, how does this compare to that and what's your experience? And um, I really liked answering those questions for, for people. I liked being part of that community. And I'm just like, you know what? Like, I should probably just start making videos. So um, what happened is this guy, John Brown, who's one of my Patreon members, shout out John Brown if you're listening. I uh, didn't even know him at the time, but he posted a video in the heavy metal amps and pedals community. And he had a TC go, which was a preamp that you could hook into your cell phone via the like headphone jack. And you could power okay. an SM 57 or, you know, any mic because it had phantom power built in. I'm like, Oh man, if I could do that, then I could, I could do YouTube videos because you know, my cell phone can double as my, my sound interface and I don't have to sync video externally because I didn't know how to do it at the time. <laughs> like that's, oh that's God. how little knowledge I had when I started. So, um, totally understand. Know. Okay. So yeah, you get it. You get the struggle. Um, but yeah, so my first videos were just, uh, me throwing my cell phone camera on an amp and it was usually an amp that people had asked me a lot of questions about. I would plug it into a two notes captor and I would run it into like some sort of vintage 30 impulse response and I would just play and tweak knobs and that was it. I never appeared on the camera, never said a word. Um, and those videos, those first few videos all got like over a thousand views within the first couple of days. Like it was kind of mind blowing. Um, okay. so from that point, I mean, obviously, you know, as, as anybody who does any sort of like content related stuff goes, like you, you throw some stuff up, you get some positive feedback and, you know, get some views and you kind of just get hooked on it. So that's kind of where it all took off for me is, is those first couple of videos. Mm-hmm. Well, it hasn't, that isn't an, an extremely long timeline. And it seems like the progression, both in your, you know, comfort level with being on the camera, your, you know, quality of recording, your quality of the images and everything that are on the channel. I mean, my images, I mean, like the cameras that you're using and everything mm -hmm. is really accelerated a lot lot quicker than most people, certainly a lot more quickly than mine ever did. Like I was on cell phone mode for a long time uh, with most of the videos I did. And I obviously not primarily a video guy. So it, it took me forever to even 
get to where I currently am, which is still below where you are, I would say, as far as that goes. Um, how did Looks you to me. like manage to learn all that stuff in such a short amount of time? So, um, oh boy, here we go. Take a drink. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, we gotta. <laughs> whew, all right, decompress for a second. Um, I, much to you know, my uh, fiance's chagrin, I guess. I have a very obsessive personality type, you know, mm. as if, you know, mm. having 80 some amplifiers wouldn't tell you that already. <laughs> um, sure. So, I get it. <laughs> yeah. When I get into something, man, I get, I get all the way into it. So that's basically what happened with YouTube. Like as soon as I kind of started gaming, gaining any sort of steam whatsoever, man, it was just like, okay, we're going to take this and we're going to, we're going to turn it up to 200%, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So Yeah, luckily, I mean, I just, uh, you know, there are times in my life where I was not in a good position financially, like was in a lot of credit card debt and everything. And luckily, had pulled myself out of it, especially once I started the YouTube channel. So it was like, I could afford to upgrade my camera quickly. It was just a matter of did I want to spend the money? Did I want to commit to learning how to use it and everything? And like I said, those first, I want to say my first 10 videos were on a cell phone. And then after that, it's been a dedicated camera ever since. I bought a, a Sony a6000 and uh, a Sigma 16 millimeter lens. Like I think my total mm-hmm. investment into both items was like 650 bucks, maybe not even that. Not bad. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. And also, I mean, I'm a deal hunter. That's my thing. I love, I love hunting for good deals. So as soon as I find a new hobby or I, you know, okay, I'm into cameras now. Let's, let's get some deals on cameras, you know? So start scouring <laughs> the internet and trying to find the best deal that I can. And that's just kind of like, that's how the, the video quality progressed so quickly is not only was I just kind of upgrade, slowly rolling through upgrading my gear, but, um, I was learning about it at the same time as I was getting it. So it was like, okay, jump into the forums. What's the best budget camera for YouTube content? Okay. It's Sony a 6,000. If you're on a tight budget, that's pretty much like the only option that's really good. Uh, mm-hmm. okay. What's, what's a good lens. Okay. Sigma 16 millimeter, Sigma 30 millimeter. Okay. Those are pretty much like everybody's saying that. So that's what I'm going to grab. All right. So how do I, you know, how do I get a good image out of them? Well, lighting's key, you know, go on, YouTube and search how to get a, you know, good looking set for your YouTube channel or whatever. All the resources, luckily in our day and age, man, are out there for you and they are free. And it's Mm -hmm. just an incredible time, especially if you're a content creator, man. Like all you can do is search, go on YouTube, search how to be a content creator. And within a couple hours of consuming videos, like you've got all the information you need to get started, uh, not Mm -hmm. just from like a video audio standpoint, but from a how to approach it, you know? So I just, Right. For man, for two months straight, like when I got into the YouTube thing, it was just listening to podcasts, listening to YouTube videos in the background while I was at work doing my full time job of like how to how to approach the YouTube thing, how to attack it to to basically make it grow quickly and make the the quality of everything grow quickly at the same time. So that's that's what I did. I just kind of fully committed and every second that I wasn't doing something else, I was learning about how to make my channel better. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that because that shows like a, a very extreme level of dedication to trying to further your career. But I also like that you didn't start out that way. You know, I say that all the time. It's just just put things out there. Yeah. This day and age, there's really no reason not to. 
I mean, yeah, somebody might critique you, but so they might critique you while you're, you know, at the grocery store too. Who cares? You know, it's mm-hmm. going to happen regardless. You might as well try to do the thing that you really want to do during that process. So I love that you're like, all right, this is what I got. Let's try it. And, yep. you know, whether people like it or not will help determine the next step more so than whether I'm going to keep going or not. But, you know, what you, so you, did you identify there's not a lot of people whose sole focus is amplifiers. I know that's not your sole focus, especially as you move forward, but it's definitely where you really hammered home. Or was that just, I love heavy metal guitar amps, so that's what I'm going to do. Was it a little of both, or how did that become your quote-unquote thing? Yeah, it was was basically that. It was a little bit of both. Like, uh, this is what I know the most about. This is what I'm the most passionate Mm -hmm. about, you know, when it comes to gear. And uh, I do feel like there was a little bit of a hole, you know, like, of course, like Ola and Fluff, those dudes both cover tons of amps, but like, and I love both of those guys, you know, Fluff's a friend now. Um, like there was just, I feel like maybe there was just something that I wanted to see out of amp reviews that maybe I wasn't seeing in, in their reviews. And nobody really was doing like, deep dives on amps where they were just sitting next to them and playing them and describing what was going on with the amps. You know what I mean? Which is kind of what, what I want to know. Cause like if somebody just sits down and plays it, you have no idea how the amp feels. You don't really know how the EQ is reacting. If you don't understand that stuff, like if you're not a, an amp nerd, you know, who's like dug into mm-hmm. that stuff for a long time. So like explaining to the viewer, like how, how it reacts, how does it react to different pickups? How does it react to overdrives to different speakers? And, um, there's just a lot, I feel like that goes into an amp, um, or a, I guess a proper amp review that I wasn't seeing from other people. So that was kind of the approach that I wanted to take. I wanted to sit next to it. I wanted to tell you everything that I was hearing everything that I was feeling from that amp. And hopefully that gives you the clearest possible picture of that amplifier for that, for that use. You know what I mean? Cause obviously I'm, I'm not a very dynamic player. I focus on hardcore punk and, and metal tones and playing. Um, but it turns out that there's a pretty good portion of the, you know, the YouTube demographic who is watching guitar videos who felt like they weren't being represented. And I just happened to tap into that because that's what I was interested in because I didn't necessarily feel like I was being represented. So it, you know, it kind of just, that's what happened. It turns out like I wasn't the only one, you know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. It's a, it's a strange thing for me because that's definitely the world in which I live and what I listen to. But I think if you were to look at my Instagram or any of the other content that I've put out over the years, it may not be readily apparent until you listen to the podcast and see that's like a, you know, a good portion of the people that I'm interviewing and the things I I tend to talk about. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like I somehow got somewhat segued gear wise into a little more of a, uh, I don't know what the word, what genre you'd even say, more like a shoegazy indie rock thing. Cause I got so obsessed with pedals. Yeah. Just absolutely <laughs> obsessed with all of the weird pedals that are out there. And so I actually found myself, even though I'm, you know, spending my time listening to Knocked Loose, I'm actually spending more time like playing ambient and weird, like shoegazy, noisy stuff. Uh, yeah. So finding your channel and finding some of the, the content like that 
has brought me back around where I'm like, wait a minute, I don't have a 5150. What am I doing? <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, I've gotta get back to my roots a little bit here. Like, what's going collection. on right now? Yeah. I've got a big hole. I don't know what's going on right now. So yeah, I'm looking at some of the rev stuff, especially after meeting those guys at GearFest. And um, mm-hmm. but I'm still I've got like a giant 5150 sized hole in my heart right now that I gotta I gotta plug. So I'm trying to trying to figure out which direction to go. Well, you're the perfect guy to talk to. So there's like all this controversy. Like, do you need a block letter? Oh, the 61, you know, 6505 is the same, or blah blah. Oh, the 5153 is the one. Like, what's this? What's the deal? What, what where does a guy even begin with the 5150 journey? Oh man. Um. Well, the first thing that you have to know is if you're looking for the 5150 thing, you know, they all do it. They all do it. And it's really mm-hmm. just going to come down to your own subjective opinion. What do you, what are you looking for? And what do you like? The differences between all of them are, okay. you know, fairly subtle. They're not, it's not mountains, you know, like they're, you're, they're just tiny little differences. Um, obviously the EVH stuff is more different. It's, it's more set apart than the PV stuff. They each both kind of have mm-hmm. their own individual things going on, but like in the grand scheme of amplifiers, they're not hugely different. So the block letter thing, like hundred percent myth, there's nothing better about a block letter versus a signature, uh, versus a 6505 that that whole myth was born. You know, everybody knows this story at this point, if you're into the 5150 lore at all, but at the same time that they had to change from the EVH, faceplate because uh ev was like trying to sue them or you know basically cease and desist because that was their kind of trademark they switched over to the signature on the pv5150 so it's got eddie van halen's signature at that same time as they were rolling those new ones out they ran out of the usa tubes that they had been stockpiling for years and years and they had to source Mm -hmm. different tubes those are what really rolled out in the signatures. And that's why people noticed a difference in the way that they sounded. But as far as like internal, like components that you can't change without a soldering iron, like they are, they're the same amplifier and same goes from the 5150 signature into the 6505 line, same amps, same specs. The only thing that's really changed in that main amp line over the years is they had to switch transformer manufacturers at some point because the transformer manufacturer that was making them for them, uh, they, they either closed their doors or something happened where they weren't doing business anymore. So PV had to take the same transformer recipe and then just take it and have somebody new make it for them. So other than the switch of, you know, moving from the USA to China, there, there has not really been any changes. And even so, moving their manufacturing over to China, they're still made to the same circuit, still the same values, you know, still supposed to be using the same parts and everything. So, I mean, for all intents and purposes, if it's a PV5150 or 6505, it's, it's the same amp. Uh, and then same with the 5152 or the 6505 plus, all of that still applies. Mm-hmm. Once you get to the EVH stuff, things things get a little bit more interesting. Um, the 5150 100 watt, the original, I never recommend that amp to people because it does not have resonance controls, which I feel okay. like that's almost an integral part of the 5150 thing is being able to adjust that resonance to really get that like low end chunkiness, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the original 100 watt doesn't have it. 
the it was introduced on the 100 watt 606 stealth which is my favorite out of all of them i think that one just kind of has has as far as the high gain stuff it just has the best tones for my personal taste the EL34 is also awesome, the 100-watt EL34 Stealth. When you get into the 50-watt models, the original 50-watt 6L6, um, I just found this out recently, and I had experienced this for myself as well. They seem like they varied a lot. I'm like, I got some of the original 50-watt 6L6s that sounded incredible. I got some that sounded terrible, and I, I just could never figure out why. Well, it turns out like they were not using like the same pot values on every one. Like the tolerances on the pot values okay. on those amps were all over the place. And they were just kind of tossing in almost like whatever they had at the time. And there was a lot of variance. Uh, uh Oh, I think my camera's about to disappear. Uh Oh, a MacBook. So we're good. All right. Um, that works. <laughs> <laughs> that was a smooth transition. That was, that awesome. was so smooth. That yeah, was dude. incredible. Yeah. I didn't touch a thing, man. <laughs> Technology. <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, Tone Talk. I don't know if you ever listened to that show. You know, Mark Uzanski, Dave Friedman, if you guys don't. A little bit. People, yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you're, an, if you're mm -hmm. an amp nerd, man, there's a lot of good information on those shows. So they were talking to Howard Kaplan, who was the designer at Fender at the time who worked on those. And, you know, he's the one who kind of spilled the beans on all that. So when they went over to the uh, concentric pot version of that 6L6, which is, you know, the volumes and gains were stacked for channels one and two, so you could adjust them individually. That's when everything started to even out. So people think that there's a big difference between the non-concentric pot version and the concentric pot version. And on paper, there shouldn't be. But what it is, is the original one, you know, the pot values are going to be all over the place. So you may get one that sounds great. You may get one that doesn't sound so good. Um, and then, you know, the EL34, that blue channel on that one, kind of notorious. It's got that C137 resistor on the blue channel. So it's a lot tubbier and a lot chunkier from the factory. But you can clip that guy and it's the same as all the other ones. Like it goes back to the same circuit. And then the Stealth is just, you know, it's just a different flavor. So really it comes down to, they're all different flavors. Do you want a clean channel? Okay, get one of the EVH ones. Do you not need a clean channel and you just want, you know, tons of gain and saturation and you want that cocktail thing? So you can really just kind of get any of them. You know what I mean? They're just going to be subtle variations mm -hmm. on the theme. So they're all awesome in my opinion. Right. So basically the thing I need to do is find the best deal on one yep. that's local and go play it. And that's pretty much it, right? You got it, man. Yeah, that's that's mm -hmm. kind of the best way to do it, for sure. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> when you were talking about the the original EVH ones and the pot values being different and, and all that, it, it, I was getting a lot of vibes. I know they're uh, made to a higher spec than this, but I was getting a lot of vibes of like the original like Russian Big Muffs and stuff, where mm -hmm. some of them are just horrible and some of them are the best thing you've ever heard in your life. And it all depends on like, well, they kind of were just, uh, I mean, they were put together in Russia during a very tumultuous time in Russian right. history. Not, I guess all times in Russian history are somewhat tumultuous, but uh, <laughs> yeah. during a very interesting time uh, over there uh, by an American company, technically. Um, so it's not too surprising that uh, that stuff is a little bit all over the place, but it is kind of surprising to hear that about the the Fender ones, to be honest, because they're they they have got a little bit different reputation, I guess we should say. Right, and it's a modern amplifier. You would think that that 
You know what I mean? Like I, I don't remember him actually saying if there was a reason why that they were doing that, but I found that really interesting too. I was just like, how does that happen? Like the, these were put into production in like 2007 or something. So I, it mm-hmm. just, it seemed odd to me. I'm not sure why that happened, but to learn that just kind of made a lot of things click in my mind as to, I'm like, why does some of these men sound so good? And some sound really not. <laughs> uh, so, you know, if you get that original one, it's kind of like, you know, JCM 800s, Marshall did the same thing, but that was back in the seventies and eighties where they were just scrapping together any parts they could to get them out the door. Cause they were selling so fast and, you know, they were just buying parts from any distributor that, that they could get them from and tossing them in, in amps to get them out the door. And that's why a lot of older JCM 800s and JMPs and stuff sound so different because they, they had a lot of different parts in them over the years. So, but that was the seventies mm-hmm. and the early eighties. So like, you know, what's, what's the excuse in 2007? It just seems really goofy. Yeah, very, very strange indeed. And it's also one of those things, too, where I think it illustrates the fact that we tend to get, as guitar players, we get hung up on particular things. Like, for instance, like the block letters, a prime example. The Mm -hmm. the only reason people care as much, I think, is because you can see it. And it sounds cool to say, oh, the block letters, the one, because that's the original. With guitarists, everything that's the original is always the better version regardless of whether and or not it actually is better we're mm-hmm. like oh it's the original and even i knowing that still i'm like hmm, the original one would be cooler for no real reason at all yeah. whatsoever it's there's no logic cred. behind it it's just like <laughs> it's just cool right for yeah <laughs> for nothing <laughs> yeah it's it's but fun. We, i know we all do uh, it to various degrees yeah i know 100 percent what you're talking about man and uh yeah if it, if the guitar if the guitar community isn't the absolute worst for that stuff i i would i would hate to see another community that <laughs> that is worse than that when it comes to that stuff mm. but yeah originals always better older is always better like you know it's just kind of that like weird mentality and i don't know i i personally don't understand it but I haven't come up through the years, you know, in the gear stuff. Um, I know that uh, I think the general consensus is that manufacturing just gets cheaper. Like companies get cheaper as the years go on. They're trying to just maximize their, their bottom line. And therefore they put cheaper parts or they make things in a cheaper manner so that they can save money, but they don't pass it on to the consumer. And I'm assuming that that's why that logic is applied to the guitar gear stuff. Um, so people automatically think if it was, if it's an older one, then it was probably made when the manufacturing was in a better place. That's, that's kind of my opinion on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I, sometimes I think that could be true. I think there are instances where that uh, is the case in a variety of industries, but seeing behind the curtain quite a bit at this point in my weird career that I've had, I can tell you that. (laughs) companies will Im- improve their processes too over time to where mm-hmm. maybe maybe it's cheaper to make maybe it's not but i i can tell you that i've watched people be like oh we found a better way to do it that's faster more efficient and actually a better quality way to do it as well those improvements do exist and it's very likely to happen so it's not like all the ones that are built in the guy's garage are going to be the premium premium thing sometimes they are but more often than not, people who do things for a long time get better at them versus yes. worse, I think. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And you can kind of, 
you can trace that through even like manufacturing countries over the years. Sorry, I'm going to try to get this thing working again. Um, you know, because if you go in the forums and, you know, for a while I was a huge Les Paul nerd. I love Les Pauls. Um, if you, and I think you are too, right? You, you own a lot of Les Pauls. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, uh, that's what I thought. One, two, three. I got three Les Pauls and other Gibsons, but yeah, three Les Pauls. So okay. Yes. Okay. So have you like just gone down the rabbit hole of, uh, let's say like imports over the years at all? Like, especially the Japanese stuff, there's a huge community and, and kind of like fan base around the Japanese copies like Tokai, Bernie, Greco, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't went down the rabbit hole, so to speak, but I've played a lot of those examples. I own an Orville base, uh, so I didn't end oh, up cool. picking up any of them. But I, I have played a lot of the Japanese stuff over the years. There seems to be an odd amount of it, uh, at least an oddly high amount of it in Portland, for whatever reason. Huh, so interesting. I see a lot of it. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's because we're weirdos or what the story is, but uh, it's probably <laughs> there seems it, to be a I'm lot sure. of it floating around here. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but but I I mean largely they are very interesting. Like I I I it makes me wonder like what was in the water you know at the time that there were so many of these copies at a very similar time period that were in a lot of ways exceeding the originals. Um, but I mean I'm by asking that question I'm assuming you did go down the rabbit hole a little bit. So I did, but I never owned. Uh, the only ones I've owned are, are a couple of Edwards that I have right now, which I mean, those are modern productions, so they really don't even count as much as the other stuff. But, um, sure. yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure why the market was so huge for them in the eighties. Cause that's where it seems like most of the really good ones are the eighties and nineties. But, mm-hmm. um, to basically to the point that you were making of like, people just get better at making things over the, over time. Well, when, the guitar makers first started, you know, commissioning and having guitars built in Japan, it was kind of considered a, a subpar manufacturing location. You know what I mean? Like there was, oh, it's a Japanese guitar. It's crappy. But over the years, it, mm-hmm. it, they, the Japanese, uh, companies that were making these guitars got so good at making them that the, the quality started to exceed the USA manufacturing. You know what I mean? Like you said, there's mm-hmm. a, there's a large cult fan base for those who think that Japanese guitars are better than USA guitars. So once the Japanese manufacturing got expensive, okay, well, we're going to switch everything to Korea because Japanese (laughs) guitars are no longer cheap to manufacture, you know, and the same thing Mm -hmm. happened. Oh, it's made in Korea. Eh, you know, it's probably not any good. Like, right. And then, okay, well now, you know, Korean guitars are highly sought after, especially if you like LTD or Schecter, some of the older ones that were made in Korea are now considered like premium models versus what their Indonesian, Vietnam and Chinese models. So it's like, (laughs) yeah. So it's like, it's it's just a matter once, once, Mm. once a country, a country of manufacture and those, and the, uh, the manufacturing companies, I'm having a really hard time thinking of, of the word that I'm trying to actually say. Um, but you, you understand like the companies who are making these guitars that are subcontracting, um, those facilities, they get better at making those guitars and the quality of those guitars goes up 
but then so does the price of manufacturing there. And it just kind of just circles back around and it keeps going. But that same thing can be said for amplifiers or anything. It's like, yeah, once you do something so many times, you're bound to get better at it and bound to make a better quality product and make it more efficiently too. So it's a cycle that I've thought about before, but I've never had it laid out the way you just did. But you're right. I remember oh, it's made in Korea. Ew. And now it's like, oh, it's one of the Korean ones. It's one of the good ones, right? Oh, like, exactly. And yeah. I think country of country of manufacture, I think generally speaking, this isn't 100% true, but for a lot of players, it's beginning to mean a lot less. Now, not outside of political ideologies or anything like that. But as far as getting a good product, I think people are more open to the fact that, hey, guess what? America is not the only one that knows how to make stuff, as it turns out. So right. um, I think as the, that's penetrated the market more and more, I think the Japanese had a lot to do with it. But there are more and more people accepting of the fact that good stuff is good stuff no matter where it's made. It's just more about identifying what that stuff is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're 100% right. Um, and it's definitely a generational thing, too. I feel like when you talk to people in the guitar community, older generations are more likely to feel that overseas manufacturing is just going to be subpar no matter what. And, you know, kind of as you get into the younger generations, that that mindset kind of tends to dissipate a little bit. And people are definitely a lot more accepting of the fact of, oh, a great guitar can be made anywhere. It just it just matters how good that particular guitar was put together and, you know, the materials that were used for it. And that's really all it comes down to, you know. Hi, I'm Vincent, and I'm here to talk about the Maris 33X. My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4,800 hertz sample rate and 99 preset locations in 33 banks and something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, now can I have my pocky? How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than 2 bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. 
We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the Gear Exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the gear exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. Mm-hmm. Totally. So it's kind of switching gears a little bit. As you move forward in your YouTube career, do you see other forms of content that you are really interested in making that you haven't tackled yet? Or where do you see yourself headed over the next, say, six months to a year with with your content and with the things that you want to make? Um, that's that's a really good question. So uh, the last like six months or so have been kind of weird for me. Like I kind of kind of almost had like a crisis of identity, I guess. Um, the channel just grew we, really we fast. All do it. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, I'm sure you know you get to a point where things things grow more than you ever expected them to. And you almost, I know for me, I kind of just put pressure on myself to like, okay, well, I can't just keep doing the same thing, right? Like I gotta, things just have to mm -hmm. constantly improve. Uh, whether it be like the, the level of polish on my videos or the way that I do things, like, oh, I feel like my videos should get more involved. And I kind of just got into that, that mindset or not mindset, but I just kind of fell into that analysis paralysis trap where it was like, oh, my channel's doing really well. Let's analyze it. Okay, these this is what's doing well. So instead of just like focusing on what's doing well for the channel and kind of leaning into those things a little bit more, I was like, okay, well, it's doing well now, but how can I make it better? And how and for me, for whatever reason, it was just like making it better was just like making everything way more involved. But that's just not who I am. I'm a, I'm a very, I'm a very fly by the seat of my pants type of person. <laughs> so that's how all Same. my yeah, me too. <laughs> so you get it. So like, if you're presented with a big project, if you start turning every podcast into a big project or every video that you do uh, into, you know, if you build it up in your mind as this big thing, are you're you're probably like me where you start to like panic a little bit you're like oh i can't just do this by the seat of my pants i gotta sit down i gotta structure this thing i gotta write out a script i have to do all this b-roll and it's like it for me going in that direction that just started to create anxiety because like i was like oh man now i have so much to do just for one video and it got to the point where it kind of created this like uh, resistance. I'm like, oh, well now videos are so involved. They're not really fun anymore. And mm -hmm. <laughs> so I would start putting things off a little bit and it, it just wouldn't be a fun experience anymore. And I kind of just like snapped out of it and came to the reala realization that like, no, the reason that people like my videos is because they are unpolished and because they are 
you know, more relatable. So like if I turn it into a bigger production, uh, I might lose what's what people connect with on my channel, you know, and it, it took me a long time to come around to that idea that like things are working. Uh, don't fix what's not broken and make the content that you want to continue to make. That way it's fun so that you don't, you know, put yourself in a place where you've created a channel doing videos that you don't enjoy making. So uh, that was a whole right. pros process that I just went through over the past few months. And I just finally snapped out of it. And I'm like kind of back into having fun with it. So, I mean, as far as like seeing where my channel goes in the future, you know, I have tons of ideas of things that I want to do. Will I do them? Do they make sense for the channel? I don't know. We'll see. I always kind of try to present things to my audience before they do that, before I do them and see how well they're received before I try to tackle them. Um, just kind of use that as a barometer of like, is this worth my time and investment to kind of try to make this video or to pursue whatever it is? And if there's not a lot of interest, then okay, that's a good sign. Don't do that. You know, scrap that idea and mm -hmm. come up with something else. So for me, it's just kind of, you know, continuing doing what I'm doing with the AMP thing. Um, people seem to really like the format. So I'm just going to kind of, again, not going to break what's, we're not going to fix what's not broken. I'm going to keep rolling with those the way that they are, but also incorporating different, different types of videos so that the channel doesn't get stale. Um, you know, unboxing videos, as sad as it is, you know, a lot of people like seem to get angry at the thought of unboxing videos, but people enjoy them. So, and it's, it's kind of like easy content and it's fun. And that's, you know, I did one today. It was a lot of fun. I unboxed a couple of cheap Harley Benton guitars that I bought with, uh, my own money. And like, it was just a goofy, fun video that I know that people are going to enjoy. And you know, other than like trying to be educational when I can, when it comes to like the history of, of amps or, you know, shedding light on an amp, that's kind of a sleeper that people may not know about. That's something I really enjoy. Like overall, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's for entertainment. Like if I'm entertaining people and maybe they're learning about a new product and, in, in that, uh, in that video that they didn't know about before. And now maybe it's interesting to them or it's helpful to them or whatever. That's all I can really ask for. You know what I mean? Like that's a, that's a win for me. So just kind of continuing down that path of like, what's going to be, what's going to be fun for me, what's going to be helpful to the viewer and what's going to be entertaining to the viewer are kind of like the three things that I try to keep in mind when I'm coming up with ideas for videos. I, I like that you said that because I've struggled as as uh, listeners are very aware, like this, this, this is my favorite thing to do. This is what I enjoy. I like interviewing people. I like having these conversations. This is my favorite con, not only my favorite content to make, but it's also my favorite part about what I do for a living is sitting down and doing this. Mm -hmm. I don't love making videos. I don't, I don't love like, these are okay. Cause it's just recorded conversation, right? But I don't love making demos. It's not my favorite thing to do. I don't mind doing short clips. I don't mind that, but I don't really love sitting down and being like, here is this pedal today. And here's all the settings that you could possibly do. <laughs> but at the same time, I still do it because I have a lot of stuff and people want to hear these things. And sometimes people ask me to do them. So I, I will, but I think there is something to be said for making the type of content that you want because people will resonate with it more. If they can tell that it's kind of forced and you're not really having a good time with it, 
even if you do in gen- genuinely enjoy whatever product it is that you're talking about, if you're not enjoying the process, it makes it hard. And again, you have to dive into it to know whether you like it or not. But I've done it enough at this point to know that it's not my favorite thing to do. I'll still do it, but there's a reason that the consistency isn't there on my YouTube channel and you know the subscriber base and the amount of interaction reflects that because I like these conversations. I like I like doing the podcast. That's why there's, you know, maybe maybe a hundred videos or so on the YouTube channel, if that. Maybe it's more like sixty or seventy. Mm-hmm. And there's <sighs> 360 podcasts or something yeah. uh, publicly facing, not to mention Patreon and all the other stuff. So there, it's just, um, I'm glad you said that because it made me think about like, well, if you really don't want to do it, it probably comes across, you know, at the end of the day, if you're mm-hmm. kind of pulling teeth to, I mean, you got to work, you got to, you got to do the thing, but finding something that, that resonates with you as a person will also resonate with the audience more, I think. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, the audience can see through that, you know. Um, And that's what people tell me that all the time. Luckily, I think, I don't think it ever got to a point where, like, I, people could sense that I wasn't enjoying doing the videos because it was, like, kind of once I got into that, I guess, flow state, you know, you, you might refer to it as a flow state, like, getting myself hyped up to do a video because it does require, it requires energy. Like, if I were to be just, like, the base level version of myself on camera, which is kind of what I was in <laughs> earlier in earlier videos, like it's just not as entertaining. Like you kind of you kind of have mm-hmm. to ham it up. Like not that the person that I am in my videos is not who I am because it very much is. But it's like it's it's me, but taking the energy up, you know, two levels. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So it's like to do that, like if you're not in the mood or the mindset to, to do that, man, it's, it's exhausting. Like I, there were days when I filmed a 30 minute video and I felt like I got hit by a truck afterwards. And that's going to sound ridiculous to somebody who's never done it before, but it's like, Mm -hmm. it, it requires a lot of energy to put your brain in that state and, and try to focus on all the points that you need to hit, try to make sure that your energy's up, try to make sure that like you, you are being entertaining and not just like, you know, reading off the facts. Okay, well, here's the trouble knob. It adjusts the trouble. You know, nobody wants to hear that. Of course it adjusts the trouble. Like how, how can you put a spin on it to make it (laughs) seem interesting to the viewer or, you know, just not be that guy who just reads off the spec sheet and then plays a couple of riffs. Like how, how can you make them want to stay for whatever it is that you're going to say next, you know? So it's like, that's when you're not in the mood or the mindset, to do that, it's a, it's, it's taxing. It's physically taxing. It's mentally taxing. And I hate to sound like I'm complaining in any way because I'm not, I love that this is my full-time job. I'm incredibly unfortunate or <laughs> whoops. I'm incredibly fortunate that <laughs> <laughs> Freudian slip. I don't know. No, but seriously, man, yeah. I love oh, no. doing this. Yeah. And I go through phases where sometimes it does feel like work. And sometimes it's just I'm, I'm getting paid to have fun and be an idiot on camera and play guitar. You know, like I couldn't ask for anything better, but when you're, when you're struggling with it a little bit and for, like I said, there were reasons that I was creating in my own head. There was no reason for me to be struggling other than putting too much pressure on myself. And you know, it, it can be a lot of work. So yeah, if you are 
trying to force yourself to do videos or to do content that you don't really want to do, it's it's probably going to come across to you know the viewers, to the fan base of of the channel, to the fan base of the podcast. They'll pick up on it, maybe not right away, but eventually, or even in hindsight, I bet you some people will look back on some of the videos that I did in that time period and be like, hmm. Kyle doesn't seem like he was feeling it, you know, or he does, he doesn't seem the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hate that, but it is what it is. You know, like you said, you got to work. Like I, I made the commitment to make this my full-time job. So even if I'm not feeling it, man, there are days when you got to work regardless. But luckily mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like I've kind of figured out why I was in that slump for such a long time. And being at GearFest was was such a breath of fresh air for me because it's like you don't get to talk to other people who do this on a daily basis. This is a very small, you know, niche thing like to be a full-time content creator or even just to be somebody who's passionate about creating content in general. So, finding anybody who can relate to that in your day-to-day life is is it's it's incredibly difficult. So you can't share what your day-to-day life is like with somebody who gets it. So to to be there and to hang out with all the people who have been doing this longer than I have, who understand everything that I'm going through and I can actually finally relate to somebody uh, was, was just a huge breath of fresh air for me. And it really has kind of just reignited my love for doing this, my creativity, my energy, like everything is, it's just like up again. So I'm like really, really excited with where I'm at right now. And moving forward, I do think I have some cool ideas for the future and how I want to kind of like continue to approach the channel. That is one thing that I think maybe we need to be better as creators to talk about. Like it's a little bit lonely. I have less of that because this is what I do right? Like I get to do this. So I, I have less of that, but I still understand once the cameras are off and we're done, I'm out here by myself in this windowless shed. Now I love this windowless shed. I created it for the express purpose of doing all this stuff. Right. Right. But, but at the same time, it is a little bit weird to have gone from, you know, a career where there's constant interaction with other people to, being mostly by yourself, mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a weird mental adjustment that I don't know if we ever fully 100% make. You get used to it, but I do think that having those conversations with other people that do get it, it's like, ah, this brand was kind of weird, or uh, this other person was kind of weird to me online. And while that sounds kind of like dumb, like, why would any of that matter? When those are the only interactions you're having, it, it can be it can be a little bit challenging to process when you're not bouncing it off other people who have similar struggles, similar interests, similar things. It, I think people would be really surprised to see the all the creators that are together at Gearfest all sitting at a table and be like, "What are?" What's, you know, Ryan from 60 Cycle and Glenn Fricker doing joking around together? They, on the surface of it, they couldn't be more different, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, they're friends. So I think they would be, people would be very surprised to see the kind of interactions, even though as genres, quote unquote, go in this world, there's like every, someone from every genre there. And I thought that was cool that Sweetwater's part of their purpose in doing that was to bring us all together because they know we're we're all scattered throughout the world doing this in our, our version of a shed in the backyard. So 
<laughs> right. A, it's a weird, weirdly wonderful thing to get to do, but it's, it definitely has highs and lows like anything else. Hello there. I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, the Chase Bliss Audio Lossy. Lossy is a collaboration between Chase Bliss and Good Hertz. It's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with every compressed audio. You're getting it right now. All the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my plane dynamics. I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. And some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about Lossy, I invite you to head over to chaseflintsaudio.com gonna like what you right that's the thing is you know it may seem on the surface like it's an absolute dream for anybody who gets to do this and again don't get me wrong it is as somebody who came from an industry that i could not care less about like a, an industry that i actually you know i hated because i i just did just didn't like it it wasn't me it wasn't for me there's a lot of dishonest things going on and that's just not me um to to now get to do this full-time get to get to play with guitar gear full-time to have companies send me stuff and to pay me to make videos for their gear like and get to work from home i never have to leave my house and it's like well a lot of that is a blessing and a curse you know like when you turn something that you Mm -hmm. love into your full-time occupation I'm sure people hear people say it all the time, but when a hobby becomes your job, it's no longer your hobby. It's your job. And Mm -hmm. your job, it's, it's work. And then you start to associate that thing you love with work as opposed to being something that's like a release from the rest of life, you know? So it really changes how you look at things. So for me, guitar playing, you know, a lot of the time isn't necessarily as fun as it used to be because now when I sit down and I'm checking out a piece of gear, I'm not just listening for what I like about it and then saying yes or no, this piece of gear is for me and then doing what I will with it after coming to that decision. It's okay. Well, now I have to look at this from a price point. Now I have to look at this from competition on the market. What else is out there that's trying to do the same thing? Now I have to look at this. Uh, if it's not for me, who is it for? Because I'm just not the type of person that believes that things generally are terrible or great. I think that pieces of gear are created for different types of people. So if it doesn't work for me, it probably works great for somebody else in a different situation. So I don't really judge things as necessarily good or bad unless they are functionally, uh, you know, just not, not doing not anything work. like right, what they're right. supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So mm-hmm. it's just like, man, mm-hmm. just sitting down and checking out a piece of gear for my own personal enjoyment, like that's a completely different thing than checking out a piece of gear. Even if I'm excited about it, I still have to like sit down and look at it as objectively as possible you know, and try to try to draw those points in my mind. Um, 
because it's it's my job. It's my job to do so. And I could go on I could go on video and just check it out as if I was sitting down and, you know, checking it out for the first time for myself and just giving you my thoughts on it. But like I I would like to be a little bit more detailed than that because again, like I don't want to be the guy that's just playing a piece of gear on camera and not giving you any feedback about it. Like I want to, I want to know about mm-hmm. it and I want to know what its purpose is. I want to know where it exists in the market so I can give the viewer as much of that information as possible for them to make an informed decision. It's not about me selling you a piece of gear, even when a company pays me to make a video about it. Um, I'm not trying to sell you that piece of gear. I'm trying to give you as much information and as much feedback as possible so you can figure out whether this piece of gear fit works for you or whether it doesn't. So that's, that's a whole different mm-hmm. level of, uh, pressure and analyzation that goes into <laughs> checking out a hundred dollar pedal than, you know, if you're just kind of sitting down and checking it out for yourself. Sure. Sure. But also I, I don't yeah, think one I thing touched I, on, Oh, Oh, sorry, man. I didn't, didn't ahead, mean to sorry. interrupt you, but yeah, you're, I, mm-hmm. as I tend to do, I got off on a tangent there, but you're totally right. Like, being a content creator can be a very lonely thing because uh, you're doing it by yourself most of the time. And for me, I went from, like you said, working with a team of people in my previous career uh, to just literally being by myself and being by yourself and not really getting to like interact with anybody on a personal basis. When you're interacting online, I said this in a video recently, like it, it doesn't really connect to you that these are real things, that these numbers mean anything, that these comments are coming from real people when that's all you read, that's all you see until you actually meet somebody in person that goes, oh, hey, I saw that video that you did. I thought this was awesome. Or I bought this amp because of that video. Like that's when things start to click in my head that like, oh, people are actually watching these videos. It's not just numbers on an analytic screen. Um, So like, even though you do have all these interactions with people online through a YouTube channel, through a podcast, um, it's still very, very lonely because they're not actual interactions in the same way that people are wired to, uh, you know, experience, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a very, very foreign way to communicate, even though we've been doing it for a long time at this point. It's still not really how human beings are wired to communicate we're supposed right. to see people what what's the number we're supposed to only know like a hundred people or something in our brain <laughs> some some number around that and obviously we have way more contacts than that these days most people do right so it's a weird uh it's a weird position that technology is, has thrust us into and it's a great position but it's also one that i think we're going to be trying to process as a society for as long as society still exists. <laughs> so yep. It's Couldn't a, agree more. Yep. It, it's a strange thing. Right. Yeah. So we're, we are reaching the end of the main episode and I have a couple classic questions I like to wrap up on, but before sure. I do, I like to give the guests the opportunity to take the floor, plug anything you want to plug, shout out your grandma, whatever you want to say, anything you want to say. And the, the time is yours to talk to a few thousand people and, say whatever right now. Okay. Um, I guess now would be a good time to kind of talk about the fact that I'm starting a podcast here within the next month or so. Oh, yeah. Hey, look at that. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I'll use your podcast to plug my podcast if that's okay. (laughs) 
Um, that works great. Let's do it. It sucks because the last couple of weeks have been so busy. We were kind of op- hoping to already have settled on a name and settled on, uh, like got a theme song and everything done at this point, but it just hasn't happened. Been too busy. So we don't have the name of it yet, but it's going to be myself and this gentleman, Len Carmichael. He runs a studio called Landmine Studios in New Jersey. And, um, he actually is the guy that processes all of the, uh, live audio from like, this is hardcore and stuff like that for all the hate five, six videos. Oh yeah. 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 So he's mm-hmm. also, you know, recorded a ton of bands, uh, pop bands. If you're in the hardcore scene, you will definitely know, like did some of the fury of five stuff recently, uh, among many others. That's just the first thing that comes to mind. But anyways, he's much like me. He's, he's a huge amp nerd got a wall of amps behind him at all times. So like we've been friends for a long time. We decided we're just going to start a podcast. It'll probably be a little, you know, like 30 to 45 minute episode once a week where we talk about a particular guitar gear subject. And then, you know, from time to time we'll have guests on whether they be somebody within the industry, like an amp builder, a guitar maker, a pedal maker, something like that. Um, but we'll also have people coming on from bands because we're both pretty well connected in the hardcore and metal community. So we'll have people on to talk about their gear and stuff like that too. So unfortunately, don't have the name yet. We're hoping to launch it by the end of July. But if you guys watch my channel at all, if you're listening, uh, you know, or not, if that sounds like something you're interested in, just keep an eye on my YouTube channel because I'll be making an announcement there. So uh, that's... Uh, that's it. And if you guys like quad cortex packs, Kemper profile packs, hit me up. Cause I'm making those too. Like, uh, like we talked about early in the, Sweet. in the episode, like I, I've got so many different amps, so many different cabs and stuff. I'm just going to kind of start putting that all into, uh, packs that, that you guys can use for your own personal ventures. So yeah. Very cool. Well, that sounds great. Yeah. And, uh, let me know when the the podcast drops and we can plug it in the tone mob Facebook group and all of that good stuff too. So awesome. Uh, I appreciate me, it. Keep me posted on that. Sounds For like sure. a good time. All right. Fi- final questions. Okay. First one. What is your favorite boss pedal? Uh, favorite boss pedal SD one hands down. Ah, easy. Wow. Yeah. Fast on that one. He, oh, was like, he had that holstered and ready to go. <laughs> awesome overdrive completely. <laughs> it's gaining some recognition again. Uh, but I feel like it was overlooked for a long time with the boutique pedal market. Incredible pedal for 60 bucks. All right. The SD one. All yes. right. Final question. What is your favorite kind of pizza? Oh, man, I am just a plain old loaded up with pepperoni and and thick crust, plenty of sauce. That's all it takes for me. I, I don't like any crazy toppings or anything like that. Just give me a good old fashioned thick crust pizza with a load of pepperoni on it. Thick crust is in like a like a Detroit style, or is there uh, some other region that you prefer to grab? Like, where do you? Where's your brain there? All right, so pizza snobs are gonna roast me for this so hard, but I don't care. Um, all right, there's, there's a chain called Marco's pizza. Um, and they, they were for a long time, they were attached to like family video outlets and stuff like that, but now they're just their own thing. Okay. And I am just, I'm a total mark for their pizza, man. Like it's, it's cheap and it's, (laughs) it's delicious. And like, I've tried to like get into like the expensive, you know, local shops and stuff like that. 
Um, even going out of town, going to like the higher end pizza joints and stuff. And man, for me, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just a trashy dude, but that Marco's always hits the spot for me. So, uh, it's, yeah, it's not like a Detroit style or anything. It's just a thicker than normal crust, like kind of like a fluffy crust pizza. Um, that's, mm-hmm. that's just kind of what I'm into, but yeah, I, I'm not, not ever mad to have a Detroit style pizza or even a Chicago where it's almost basically like lasagna. Like generally if it's pizza, sure. I can get down <laughs> with it. So. Marco's Pizza. Shout out Marco's. I'm not familiar with Marco's, so I'm going to have to do some investigation. I can't comment on uh, how I feel about it. I'm just going to have to go with you on it. So maybe that's for the best. Yeah, yeah. If you <laughs> if, if uh, you ever come across one, man, just just try order something from it. I mean, it's cheap, so you won't really regret it anyways, but it's, it's really good stuff. Sounds good, man. Well, let's see. Uh, we slide over to Patreon, see what kind of uh, shenanigans we can get into over there. Does that sound good? Sounds good to me. All right, everybody. All right, for Kyle, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, folks, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Please make sure you check out Kyle's content. Go over to his YouTube channel, which will be linked in the show notes, of course. Follow him on the socials, all that good stuff. But don't do it if you don't like riffs, because this man will bring the riffs to your ears. So if you don't like riffs, don't go check out his content because you're going to be sorely disappointed because he's got a lot of riffs. And you know what else he has? Words. Lots of them. In fact, there are more over on Patreon. Kyle and I sat down for an extended little chat over there. So if you want more content beamed right to your ears every week and you want to help support this show, please go to patreon.com slash tone mob where for five bucks a month, you will get extra episodes beamed directly to your ears every single week. And there's a lot more content coming. I still have a lot more I'm going through from GearFest. And after I get back from this weekend, which as you hear this, I am back, I should have even more from the Farewell Festival here in Oregon. I'm actually going down there to record some interviews, hopefully, with some pretty cool people. And uh, yeah, we'll see how that all shakes out. I don't want to promise anything because I'm pre-recording this intro and anything could happen at one of these festivals. So we shall see. But hopefully I have more content from there as well. And, uh, you know, I'm talking about something that already happened. So I should stop talking so you can get on with the rest of your day. Thank you so much for spending time. Please share this with somebody if you can. And I will see you on the Internet very, very soon. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time.
We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.